I had no people, no budget, uh, no strategy, actually no nothing. Very quickly, I started to lead a transformation of about 5,000 FTEs uh, entering into global business services. And this was done in record time. Welcome to the GBS Masterminds podcast, the one and only platform for global business service leaders to share their experiences of building world-class shared service organizations. My name is Sashi Narahari, founder and CEO of iRadius, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm honored to host Carolyn Basin, a GBS leader with 30 plus years of experience leading global businesses across companies like Mondelez, Bacardi, and PNG. Currently, Carolyn serves as the Senior VP of Strategy and Transformation at PepsiCo Europe. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sashi. Actually, I'm so pleased to have this dialogue with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your career journey, a little bit about uh, your personal side as well, if you can share. Sure. I've loved both my personal life and also my career. I was born in Belgium. In terms of uh, my career, I actually started with Procter & Gamble. And after P&G, I joined Bacardi to become the global CIO. And after Bacardi, I joined Mondelez to start up actually the global business services organization from scratch. And then in Mondelez, I also took the CIO role. And now recently, I joined PepsiCo as strategy and transformation lead for Europe. And this includes a set of different uh, responsibilities, a lot of the things that I know well, that I have done in my past life, but also a set of responsibilities that I had not really done in my past life. By now, you understand that one of the characteristics is that I hate complacency. I love to learn. I love to go home in the evening, scratch my hair and say, damn, how am I going to solve this problem? The other thing is that over time, I have become a sponsor, advocate, leader, executing, you know, to help the woman advancement in their career. And I'm very passionate about this. Even if I think that in my life, I have more help men in their career than women, I'm still passionate about developing those women. Caroline, at this point, I'm going to switch to the $6 million questions. The first one is, it is about the which, what is better for deploying shared services? A captive services model where you do it all in-house or you outsource it to a third party? The real best model depends on many different parameters, like speed, like end-user experience, like cost savings, and uh, depending on what you want to provide and what you want to provide first, second, third to your company. For speed, I would say that getting professional help through a partner is really useful because they have the resources, they have the capabilities to scale up very fast, to drive the productivity, and to establish early wins and help consolidate the use cases. And obviously, depending on the different processes that you want to bring into GBS or outsource or keep in-house, there are some processes that are much more mature in terms of what BBOs can provide than others. And so you can be selective in that pace. Now, on the other side, some enterprises have a culture and uh, they have a culture where the captive model will be more desired and will be more desired uh, essentially also as a first step than going immediately to outsourcing. Now, my opinion is 
that the most successful GBS organizations are the ones that are capable of managing an ecosystem of delivery centers, whether they're internal or external, and get the best of both worlds. In a captive strategy, you are in a better position to control the delivery experience, and you can treat it as an investment into your own company. In my view, what I would recommend, if you want to get the savings pretty fast, and you want to be able to deliver a professional approach, I'm recommending outsourcing as the first option, as it provides cheaper, faster, and better results. But you need to make sure that the culture of your company is working with it versus against it. All right. With that, I'm going to switch to the second million-dollar question. It's about harmonize and standardize first or lift and shift first. There is a lot of debate where companies are like, what should I do? What's your viewpoint on that? What would you do? Again, here, the answer will depend on a couple of parameters. If you want speed and speed in delivering cost savings, the best model is no doubt for me, lift and shift. But there is a key condition to this, is you need to have a clear, defined, and agreed plan to standardize and automate very quickly after having done the lift and shift. And I've seen several companies who never executed the standardization and stopped after the lift and shift. And obviously those miss big opportunities. Now, the interesting thing is that those days where automation is prevailing and is much more known and available, a lot of companies are thinking to first standardize and automate and then shift the work afterwards. My view is that they still will take a long time to achieve their objectives and savings because it's incredibly difficult to align 40 or whatever the number is, different markets to one simple standard. Where in the contrary, when you moved it in the same place, let's say even on the same floor, with the people doing the same work for different markets, different regions, very close to each other, they can very, very quickly understand the differences and come up with the recommendations on what needs to be done to get this standardization. And again, they will then also have the scale to be able to automate, where if you try to automate in small scale, maybe much more difficult to justify even the investment. Makes sense. All right, on to the next, uh, the third million dollar question. Carolyn, you have actually been a big champion of technology, the RPA technology, and also like AI. And many GBS leaders I, I speak with, they struggle with scaling the number of bots. I often talk to a lot of our clients and then they go from like five bots, 10 bots, 60 bots. And there is this whole talk about bots are brittle and they, you can only get so much optimization. It kind of starts tapering off. What's your recommendation on using RPA and also beyond RPA, any viewpoints on application of AI in GBS centers? Definitely RPA and then AI machine learning is a key capability that GBS organizations are leveraging um, to drive productivity. If I can give a little bit of advice as we implement RPA in different companies, I personally think of RPA as a capability. So what does it mean, a capability? It means that it's an organization capability, it's a, a tool that you use, and it's a process. And you need the, to coordinate and do some change management on the tree at the same time to make it work. And if you're starting your RPA journey, 
I really would advise to start with the processes that will bring the most value from investing into RPA. So the ones that have a solid business case and and the ones that will actually end up helping people to understand the power of RPA. And how do you select those? Well, those are the ones that you select where you have still the largest number of transactions, both in volume and in repetitive capability. And once you have started to get a couple of those uh, successful cases and people start to understand it, then you can further exploit. The interesting thing is, what is better, using solutions that are pure plays in terms of RPA, and you have several like UiPath, Automation Anywhere, and you have a couple of others, obviously, or is it better to use capability through a real point solution responding to a specific need, just like high radius? And that niche solution will help you address specific use cases. And in the case of high radius that I implemented very successfully, actually, it encompasses several processes like cash management, credit, treasury, and a couple of others. The key benefit of using this latter solution is that obviously in this situation, you don't have to manage the hustle of maintaining the product yourself, but it's done by the company you're buying the services from. This is a real benefit. And I really sincerely hope that companies like Hyredius will continue to expand their capabilities in all the niche spaces where we, we a CPG company with a huge number of transactions, can take benefit of. Yeah. So, Carolyn, on to question number four, the million-dollar question number four. This is all about the role of GBS. Are you just a pure cost-cutting, OPEX reduction, or could you also be a revenue driver? Carolyn, you have been very successful in doing both, and this almost seems like across three large enterprises. Can you share your secret recipe for transforming GBS from a pure cost-cutting focus to also a revenue growth strategy? Definitely. My viewpoint is that it's a question of survival for GBS within a company to continue to drive value and to increase the level of contribution you have. And it's true that in the beginning of the GBS journey, you're essentially seen and your equity is a, is a cost cutter, but there is only so much where you can go. So you have to move into adding value and become a organization that can drive additional revenue, potentially additional margin, but go above and beyond. And if you don't evolve your organization, I think it's the beginning of the end. So how do you do that? Well, interestingly, as GBS centers mature and bring in enormous amount of processes and capabilities, they start to realize that they have a ton of data and that they're sitting on this ton of data and that uh, this data is extremely rich and extremely powerful. And so being able to translate this data into not only reactive reporting on the state of what happened in the history, but being able to translate that into predictive what's going to happen based on all this data and merging it with external data that you potentially buy or that you create through first party, second party, or, or even third party. And how can you translate that through analytics into predictive, but also prescriptive uh, capability? And all the tools and the ingredients are there. It's just a question that through the credibility 
and the equity that you have built in delivering impeccable operations, you can also move into this additional uh, scope. And actually, interesting story, my first CEO in Mondelez, as I was talking about the journey on GBS, and I was making it in four columns, and I said the four columns are progressive, you know, you start with operating, then you standardize and transform, then you digitize, and then you leverage analytics. She was really interested in the last one, which she called, it's the cherry on the cake, but it's the most important one. So that's why GBS leaders really need to think from the beginning on how they are going to evolve towards this capability of, of driving revenue also for the company. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to go on to our million dollar question number five, Caroline. This has been a, probably the longest debate. Core ERP, like SAP, Oracle, every Fortune 1000 company, every enterprise has a core platform, right? As if it is SAP, you're an SAP S4 HANA journey. If it is Oracle, you're probably going from eBusiness 11 to Fusion 12, and then other ERPs as well. And then I think everyone is confused about like that. Should we keep it in the central platform versus niche software companies? There are so many of us, not just Hyredius, but like Coupa, Blackline. And in if you just look at finance and accounting, also on the HR side and so forth, and so many modern platforms that are also native AI. What is, in your view, the trade-off between the two? What what would you do if you are a CIO or a GBS head? It's indeed, again, a $1 million question, right? And, and I'm also in contact with a lot of CIOs, right, from all the previous companies that I've worked on and that are now in multiple other companies and became CIOs um, as well. And we talk this topic on a regular basis, right? And obviously, the best answer is the most successful CIOs will be the ones that understand how to have a good balance between the big ERP, PLM, human capital management platforms on one side that will continue to be a foundation, the system of record for their enterprises to be able to manage their manufacturing, uh, manage their order to cash or manage their um, financial processes. But on the other side, we love the agility, the capability that those new SaaS platforms and niche solutions provide that are much more directed towards uh, creating value within our companies. Those companies are, are nimble, are very targeted, and have a capability of having a better user experience of their, of their uh, tools and capabilities. And we love working with them right? Because they're very eager to get the business, they're very eager to listen, they're very eager to improve. It's an interesting trade-off and CIOs will need to work in their architecture with both. And agility, responsiveness on, on one side from those modern platforms and the robustness and solidity that those uh, big ARP platforms are, are providing to us. What would you like to leave your listeners with some parting advice? Imagine your younger self when you started your career in GBS to maybe even your peers now, what would be your big advice? My advice will go from an organization standpoint. The number one thing as first you start your GBS organization is you need to surround yourself with highly skilled people. GBS is a profession. It's a professional job and getting people in your organization as you build that, that know that have done it, that have lived through it, 
whether they live through it in the BPO side of things or whether they live through it on the customer side and the company side that creates those GBS. But it's super important and um, potentially they have experience with both creating internal and external delivery centers. So understanding what it means to work with uh, third parties, they have the techniques, they know um, how important it is to put governance in place, uh, migration methodologies, operations handbooks, continuous improvement techniques to through integrated Lean Sigma. And then you combine those people with uh, people from your own company that understand the internal processes function by function better than anybody else. And if you have a good mixture of that talent, help you create GBS or run GBS, it's the best. And then you need to have talent and also for yourself that is absolutely not complacent. You cannot sleep on your successes. You need to constantly challenge the status quo and look towards the future and Try to understand what's the next value you can create for your organization. You bet. So, Caroline, this has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you. Delight to have you on the GBS Masterminds today. Thank you, Sashi. Thank you for joining us. This was the episode one of season one, where we are going to ask the same $6 million questions to a set of GBS leaders so that you get a different perspective, so that you can then parse them and decide what's best for you. That was the GBS Masterminds podcast. For more information, visit gbsmasterminds.com and make sure to search for GBS Masterminds in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at High Radius, thanks for listening.